brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat in the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You are at the Jordan River. And you are a Pharisee or a Sadducee. And John the Baptist is there. And he is dressed in camel hair, a leather belt around his waist. He's wild with hair and he's dressed. He's been in the wilderness and he has just finished the beach. Six. And he is What can you picture? That coming Messiah to be. What can you picture? He will clear his Threshing floor. Unquenchable fire. What do you expect? What did they expect? I venture to guess anything but what actually happened. Could you please stand for the reading of God's word? Because this is what happened next. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. But it is the reading of the Lord's Prayer. I think if I were of those people, I would have expected a warrior, a principal fire. I would have expected king. I would have expected majesty. I would never, ever have expected a gentle carpenter to come and say to John, he's baptized me. 
we talked last week, and we'll be talking a lot about sacrifice and about Christ sacrificing his divinity, which meaning his position, his equality with God. And nowhere until the cross is it as poignant as here. He steps into the water just like the sinner. John was, at, was telling people to be baptized for the repentance of sin. Jesus stepped in the same water. He baptized you. It's the right thing to do. In that moment, he connected with us. He wasn't above us, though he is God. He was one of us. Understanding, though not being a sinner, understanding what it takes to be humble enough to be baptized. If he hadn't done this, I don't think he would have understood his ministry. I don't think he would have gotten it. Because throughout the next three years, he's going to model humility. He's going to model being a servant. He is not going to model lording it over us. And what an incredible gift this sacrifice is. So at this moment of baptism, what did he sacrifice? What did he sacrifice? Up until this moment, he had a life that we know little about. But we know he lived in Nazareth. We know he had family. He had a mom, he had a dad, siblings. He had a life. He had a job. He was a carpenter. We know these things. But from this moment forward, he reads it down. This is the moment where he is inaugurated into his ministry. And for the next three years, all of that's in the past. What did he sacrifice? Everything that he had known before. Why? Because he had a calling. He had a destiny. He was to walk a road where he was going to be persecuted, he was going to be ridiculed, and eventually he was going to be murdered. He left it all behind out of love for us. What an amazing sacrifice. And as we're in the season of Lent, and we're trying to learn to model some of this. I think if we try to give up even a little bit, we'll be doing something major. He did it all. I think of Peter, who caught the biggest catch of fish of his life and walked away. I've always been blown away by that. Biggest catch. And I said, I'll come with you. Jesus is baptized. And what does it say happened? Three things happened. Heaven opened. The dove came, or something like a dove, came and, and lighted on him, and, and God spoke. You see the Trinity. Jesus, Father, 
and Holy Spirit, all in this moment, came together. And I think that we often, I, I don't know about you, but when I look at this time, I think, I tend to look at Jesus in my mind, and I see this dove thing, and I hear the voice. But I miss that concept of looking up in heaven. Heaven was open. Is this the first time that heaven is open? You're going, it can't be if you didn't bring it up. Ezekiel 1.1 In the 30th year in the fourth month on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kiba River, the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. Ezekiel, the heavens opened and he saw visions of God. And then later, after this happened with Jesus, Acts 7, but Stephen, you remember who Stephen is? Stephen is the first martyr in the church. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What did that look like? Oh my goodness, Cornelius' house. Peter, also in Acts chapter 10. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open, and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. All these instances of heaven being open are saying something really important is happening here. And communication is direct. Heaven is open. In the book of Revelation, John speaks of a door to heaven that is open and never to be closed. What an amazing picture that in this moment where Jesus comes to be baptized, he has been obedient to what God has told him to do. And heaven opens, and then the Holy Spirit descends. So someone in first service, I hadn't thought of this, um, pointed out, this is the first time in Scripture that the Holy Spirit came and stayed on someone. critically important, because that's going to be a gift for us after Jesus is resurrected. Holy Spirit comes down, and that voice, can you picture being there? Same people that just heard John, right? This is my son, whom I love, and with whom I am well pleased. What do you suppose what do you suppose that was like for Jesus? This was the fulfillment of Scripture. Psalm 2.7, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Isaiah 42.1, here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nation. Jesus goes down into the water. He rises up out of the water, and this Amazing scene happened. I 
even suppose he felt. I would imagine it would have been so glorious. Talk about a high. Father, speak these words. And knowing, both Father and Son and Spirit, knowing the journey that's ahead, utter acceptance of what happened. Then my mother, what comes next in Scripture? Because surely it's going to be something so wonderful because Jesus is on this spiritual high. Chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came. Maybe I'm going a little bit confused by scripture. But I do. I mean, I'm thinking, wait, 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 wait. There's this great thing happening, and then the spirit that landed on him leads him into temptation. What kind of spirit is that? I'm serious. Do you ever see I'm real with scripture? I hope that's okay with you because I, I like this and I go, I'm not sure I want the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Lord's Prayer, Jesus calls us to pray, lead us not into temptation. James 1.13 When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Is there a problem here? Because here's a fact. Scripture does not contradict itself. So I'm pondering this. You know, I, I really should just leave this stuff alone. I, I should, because it's like, I, I tackle these things that are just, maybe one of the fool's prayer or something. Um, so I had to go figure this out. So I went into the Greek, because that's one of my favorite places to go. And I learned that the word that is used here is, in this passage in Matthew, better translated as tested. Does the Lord test? Does the Lord test us? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. 
he promises us that there will be trials. He promises us that. Why? Because our faith can only be refined in fire. It can only be refined in the fire. James 1, 13 to 15 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Jesus here shows us how to stop that progression. What does Jesus do when he is tested? How does he answer Satan? The Word of God. He operates on what he knows, not on what he feels, not that he's hungry, not this enticement is he operates on what he knows. And he, he responds with God's truth. The Lord's Prayer probably would be better in, in the NRSV. It is translated this. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. One of the translations of the message says, to save us from ourselves. Okay? Mm-hmm. So what were these actual temptations? First one, to turn stones into bread. Well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Jesus turns loaves and fishes into thousands of loaves and fishes. How come this is a problem here? How come this is a problem? What was, what was the sin? The sin is disobedience. God has a plan for Jesus and he knows it and it doesn't include turning stones into bread. That's not part of God's plan. And Satan is so subtle. It's okay. This is not really sin. You know you're hungry. You know you're hungry. You can do it, right? You can do it. Just turn to your conscience and you won't be hungry anymore. This is very common. In tempting us. Very common indeed in tempting The sin is disobedience. Second temptation. Jump off the temple. You know what? If you're the son of God, leap off the temple. Tell the angels to come and catch you. Could Jesus have done this? Matthew 26, 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Of course He could. Satan is asking Him to manipulate God to prove to Satan that Jesus is who He says He is. Now, Satan already knows this. Why does Jesus need to prove anything? His, his Father just proclaims who He is. The Holy Spirit just lit on his shoulders. And yet, how many times are we seduced in that need? That need to prove to somebody that we're special. To prove to somebody that we're valuable. Even though we know who we are. And yet we talk to ourselves and our culture tells us how, how we are so insufficient how we fall short, we're not pretty enough, we're not brave enough, we're not rich enough, we're not this. And how many of us can say, 
I'm a child of God. What more is there? What more is there? Third temptation. I love this one. Love this one. Worship Satan, and Satan will give you the world. But uh, Jesus created the world. Isn't it Jesus' world? Didn't he already own it? Didn't he already own it? I mean, seriously, this doesn't seem like a very smart temptation to me. Duh. Yeah, yeah, but wait a minute. At this point, what stands between Jesus and the full reconciliation of the world? The cross. This is a shortcut for that suffering. If you worship me, you don't have to go through that, Jesus. I'll just give it to you. I'll just give it to you. You notice how annoyed Jesus gets? Away from me, Satan! Away from me! This is my journey. This is what I must go through. This is how much I love my people. It's powerful how Satan knows the road to get to us. Do you ever want a shortcut suffering? Oh. Hello? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Because it's hard. And yet, God has this journey for each one of us. But through that journey, He's going to show His glory in ways that couldn't happen otherwise. And Jesus didn't want to give up the glory. And He wanted that smile from His Father. So, question for you. Where was Jesus the weakest in this passage? Before the 40 days started or after the 40 days had passed? What do you think? Before? Most of you agree with that? I mean, 40 days without food and water. You think he's pretty weak? Okay. Satan offers him bread. You're hungry, Jesus. Where do you think Jesus was the weakest? After he's just been anointed by the Holy Spirit, he's just heard God's voice proclaiming who he is and his pleasure with his son. He's just seen heaven open. He's just been baptized. And then, 40 days of fasting and prayer. Oh my goodness. I believe Jesus was so powerful in this moment. I believe the Spirit led him there to strengthen him. To get ready for what was coming. And Jesus spent his time focused, a wilderness, a time of solitude, focused 100% on God before he was taken into ministry and all the people and all their needs and all the politics and all of that. 40 days to just connect to God. I think Satan should have done it a lot earlier. He's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, probably. Two things, two sacrificial practices Jesus is modeling for us here. One is solitude, and the second is prayer and fasting. How are you at the end of this? How are you at the end of this? How'd you do this week? Those of you who were here last week, I gave you a challenge. Ten minutes of silence each day. 
I know that there are people who struggle because I have people contact me. I love it, by the way, when people contact me when they have questions or they're frustrated. And when they contact me, I have some that contacted me and telling me they were really blessed as they tried this. I challenge those of you who weren't here last Sunday, I challenge you to 10 minutes of listening to God. Not talking at him. I can't tell you how many people today say, I have no idea what they talk. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that for some, it was, and for me included, it's funny, Sunday afternoon that I preached it, God has such a sense of humor. Whatever I preach, he always says, ha, 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 now you got to try it. <laughs> so I went home and went, okay, I challenged them. I need to spend 10 minutes with God. I could not shut my mind off. It saved my life. And I was like, Mary, you're better than this. <laughs> you can do this. And it took some real work to focus. Sometimes a candle helps, by the way. Someone said to me, well, I, what I think we need to do is turn our thoughts into prayers. Okay, but we, then we're asking God for things. It's a start. This is all a, a spiritual discipline that you work on. And it's okay if you have trouble with it. Just keep trying. I want to share a poem with you that helped me a whole lot. And this is about being alone. Be silent. Be still. Alone. Empty. Before your God. Say nothing. Ask nothing. Be silent. Be still. Let your God look upon you. That's all. God knows. God understands. God loves you with an enormous love. He only wants to look upon you with that love. Silent. Still. When I was in Hawaii, it was the first couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, right. This is hard. It was hard to be alone. I had been on such a pace for so long that jumping off that rat wheel, it, I was so I was so lonely. I missed you all so much. I didn't miss a word, but I missed you all a lot. And I was like, ah, I don't think I'm going to make it. Seriously, it's like, who does that in Hawaii? But it's like, I think I can do this. And I just, I cried. I was so alone. And then something started to happen. Because I did have a discipline with God every day. But I sat and I said, okay, these are things I need to do. Somewhere in the second week, I began to be aware. I wasn't feeling that way anymore. In fact, I was experiencing true solitude. Which is that's a peace. Solitude is not loneliness. Solitude is being comfortable that you're alone with God. And for me, it was a blessing. And so this week, you know, as you look at solitude, ask yourself, what does it mean to be alone? There's a quote from Paul Tillich. Our language has wisely sensed the two sides of being alone. It has created the world loneliness to express the pain of being alone, and it has created the word solitude 
to express the glory of being a mom. It's a beautiful thing, but it's something that we learn. So, second discipline here. Oh, this will be popular. Fasting. How many of you are ready to fast? <laughs> I didn't see too many hands go up. Fasting is a tough one. For many, many people, it's like, I don't know if I can do this. I know people who fast on a regular basis. You know, and that's an awesome discipline. But it's hard. We had the 30-hour famine. It was so fun in first service. I misspoke. It was a 30-year famine. And it's like, oh, well, that would be good. <laughs> 30 days. No, I said 30 days. It's getting longer every service. I said 30 days. And thinking, how much money would you save on groceries? The 30-hour famine is something I used to. And when they do this, they are to help, it helps them to understand what it is to be hungry. And it helps them to raise money to provide food for those who are in need of food. And it's a common practice in Scripture to fast so that we can consecrate our God. There was a Sunday school teacher who was teaching her class about how to prepare for fast Sunday. The church had a, had a tradition of this. And she said, one of the most important things we can do for Fast Sunday is to prepare for the fast. How do you think we should prepare to fast? And one bright kid said, go to an all-you-can-eat buffet. <laughs> so, like, hmm. Andrew Murray said, prayer is reaching out after the unseen. Fasting is letting go of all that is seen and temporal. Fasting helps express, deepen, confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. And then John Piper puts it this way, do you have a hunger for God? Do you have a hunger for God? If we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because we have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because we have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Our soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. If we are full of what the world offers, then perhaps a fast might express or even increase our soul's appetite for God. Between the dangers of self-denial and self-indulgence is the path of pleasant dreams called What did Jesus sacrifice in our passage this week? The first part of the passage, the baptism, he realized that he, he, he sacrificed his whole lifestyle to go on a new path that God had laid out for him. And in the second, he sacrificed worldly comfort to go and spend time alone with God to prepare him for the trials that were coming. We're going to have trials in this world. The promise is it. Are we willing to sacrifice in response to our gratitude for God? That's the question. Would you pray with me? Lord God, what you did is so big that there's no way for us to comprehend. And yet, Lord, you came to be with us walk with us wherever we are in our spiritual journey. And I thank you for that. Help us to reflect on the sacrifices you made. 
Lord, help us to know what you would have us sacrifice for you. Lord, we want to hear your voice just as my child with whom I am well pleased and whom I love. Lord, make that the desire of our heart above all. It's in your name we pray. Amen.